the role of data, uh, I refer to is as the, the, new, the new medicine of, uh, of the next century. This is Jeff Standridge, and this is the Innovation Junkies podcast. If you want to drastically improve your business, learn proven growth strategies, and generate sustained results for your organization, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast. My name's Jeff Standridge. And this is Jeff Amarine. Happy New Year, Jeff. Hey, you too, man. Good to be here. We Glad got to be back for another episode. Who do we have today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got uh, uh, Leo Barella. He uh, joined Takeda Pharmaceuticals in September 2018 as their chief technology officer. He's focused on establishing an enterprise data program as a foundation for the de development of strategic data platforms, basically to connect Takeda to the global healthcare digital fabric and supply services. Uh, to the patients that Takeda serves in real time. Uh, he served for AstraZeneca in a uh, chief enterprise uh, art architect and head of data enablement. Uh, he has uh, held teaching roles in multiple universities and has spoken internationally on topics such as artificial intelligence, big data, digital innovation in healthcare, and enterprise architecture. Leo, great to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, if you will, Leo, about the role of data and technology in, uh, in ph pharmaceutical firms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the role of data, uh, I refer to is as the, the, new, the new medicine of, uh, of the next century. Mm. Uh, you, you know, the approach that we've taken around medicine and, uh, and healthcare has, has been uh, fairly traditional. Uh, and uh, if we actually look back about 100 years from now to today, uh, it's quite archaic uh, the way in which we uh, have deployed, uh, you know, medicine. Meaning, uh, the majority of the um, uh, products that, that we actually uh, give to our patients uh, have been uh, given through like a trial and error type of phase, and we're now actually entering the uh, generation of uh, medicine that will target specific uh, patients, not only based on uh, the disease that they have, but um, mostly based on who they are. So it's the transformation of uh, targeting care uh, for the individual rather than actually using the same medicine across multiple individuals uh, and then basically monitor and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and look at the outcome. So what's been described in the, uh, or, or termed, if you will, precision medicine or personalized medicine, is that, am I on the right track there? That is correct. So basically, personalized medicine, uh, and again, the term medicine is uh, is vague now in, in the you know in the concept of healthcare, uh, because uh, you know the 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 journey of uh, returning an individual to a healthy state, uh, be, it, it's actually well beyond just the use of medicine. Uh, so we're now actually looking at uh, you know the family history, looking at uh, you know generally speaking the health history of the patient. The metabolism of the patient, the the behavior, the environments which in which they're in, the socioeconomics, uh, uh, you know, of uh, you know of the the, the peer group, uh, and also pharma pharmacogenics, right? So basically, it's a it's a it's a multi-dimensional approach that we actually take for care. Now, obviously, medicine actually has a as a role uh, in, into care, and yes, you know, uh, it's now known that uh, that each individual. 
reacts to uh, products uh, in a completely different way. So, so, so yes, you know, absolutely. Um, specialized care, uh, g- genomics, and uh, you know, and, and, and gene therapy uh, is going to continue to actually be an emerging uh, style of uh, style of care. Very you good. know, as this, as this changes, as as it becomes more personalized and more precise and kind of more holistic, it's also going to require behavior changes on the part of the clinicians and the physicians. How do you see how do you see that being enacted? Because they you know they know what they know in medical school and the gold standard for care. How do you see these these modern techniques being infused into the way they work? Yeah, that's actually a really a good question. The um, the reliance on uh, uh, on on basically the visit to a doctor, I think, will will disappear uh, rapidly, or will definitely be, be lessened, uh, especially with the emergency uh, the, the emergence of uh, of sensors. Um, now, if you're actually looking at the COVID days, uh, and uh, you know, and this is actually really a time that we should not forget. Um, this time has really introduced a uh, a, a quantum leap. Uh, relative to how care is being delivered, you know, people were not moving around as much, uh, and uh, you know, even from our industry perspective, clinical trials had to be basically be executed. Uh, and so, sensors, uh, devices, uh, you know, will become a lot more targeted toward the type of therapies that uh, that the patients will need to receive, and the interaction of devices with the ecosystem of care. Uh, will continue to progress. Uh, more and more, we're now actually getting used to actually receiving shipment to of anything, quite quite, quite frankly, to our home in uh, two days, in some cases one day, in some cases, you know, same day. Uh, why not uh, care? Why not actually innovating uh, the ecosystem, right, of, of healthcare to be able to actually deliver uh, therapies and, uh, and, and medicines uh, to the individual at their home? Let's talk a little bit about kind of in gen, uh, innovation in general as it relates to to the world of far, pharma. Um, for instance, uh, situations, and you mentioned COVID a couple of moments ago, where COVID vaccines, uh, they didn't just emerge very, very rapidly because COVID. Researchers and, and, and others had been working on just this whole concept of messenger RNA and, and how that works. And then and then an application presented itself with COVID. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on innovation that's occurring in big pharma and, and how we don't sometimes see that taking place until we have a, a need for it? Yeah, that's a, a really good question. Again, um, if you're actually looking at the pharma innovation in general, you know, a life cycle of innovation usually lasts between 9 to 15 years. You know, we're a very sequential uh, type, type of industry, uh, very regulated. Uh, where we go through like a very diligent process of you know discover uh, discovery preclinical trial uh, phase one phase two phase three uh, you know trials and then eventually we uh, you know we enter the market with a new drug and that is actually really the cycle of innovation uh, of a pharmaceutical product. Now uh, when we talk about biotech right and uh, the word technology when you're actually looking at technology innovation. Well, that cycle is really six to 18 months, right? And so basically the acceleration that technology has given to the industry of, uh, of pharma um, is indeed, uh, you know, accelerating how we deliver innovation. Now, mRNA, um, you know, if you're actually, as a matter of fact, the, the ticker stock mRNA for Moderna 
um, it has indeed introduced this new concept of um, innovation through the use of the messenger and RNA to basically produce proteins that are capable of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, reacting to uh, to to a virus like uh, like COVID. Now, again, uh, openly, I am not uh, a, a physician. Uh, I am not. Uh, I don't actually hold any degrees in in medicine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, any of the information that I'm sharing is purely through interaction with. Uh, sure. You know, with, with, with scientists, you know, within uh, within Takeda, but indeed, um, the more we actually understand, uh, uh, you know, about the human body, the more technology is advancing, the more precise we can actually make, you know, become in measurement. The more new science is actually entering entering the market, right? So basically, now we truly understand the interaction between something as simple as nutrition. So anything. Anything that you actually eat technically is a medicine because your body is actually reacting, generating new microbiomes uh, that generate, uh, you know, different type of protein synthesis. Uh, most of it is actually good for you. Some of it is not. And depending on the individual, you can actually have drastically different reactions between food uh, and uh, especially you know, medicine. So the introduction of mRNA now is truly opening. Uh, a completely new uh, science, right? In uh, in how we we deliver uh, care. Um, now, it's still actually now you know using the the, the concept of uh, you know trial and error. It's still very generalized. You know, obviously with the pandemic, we couldn't actually react at the individual level, which is the reason why you know vaccines and uh, and even COVID, right? Actually, has such a different uh, you know reaction uh, depending on the individual. But the science is definitely going to be, you know, become a lot more specialized. Uh, and uh, most importantly, the ways in which we actually measure, um, you know, the, the effects of medicine will continue to actually improve. And the detection mechanism, so basically how do you actually know that you have, for instance, you know, a COVID is going to continue to evolve and become more and more precise. You know, a follow-up question, because we're, we're talking about personalized medicine, and, and a lot of that gets to, how do you efficiently do uh, a diagnostics, you know, diagnosis in, in a way that is accessible and doesn't require a lab visit, doesn't require someone to be standing in a long line waiting for a test? Do you see more and more of the things that have been kind of traditional lateral, lateral flow, finger stick to be achieved in other less invasive ways through electronic? How do you see all that going as it relates to home-based sensors or attachments to your phone or your watch for gathering this important information and know what's going on with the patient. Yes, yeah, so I am actually getting improved, um, uh, improvement through, through, through sensors. I wear, uh, uh, you know, a, an aura ring that basically gives me uh, biometrics on, uh, you know, my heart rate, my temperature, my sleep uh, quality, uh, my activity uh, during the day, same for, you know, an Apple Watch and, uh, you know, in other sensors that I actually use, uh, you know, throughout the day. Uh, so I'm actually logging, uh, you know, several, uh, you know, attributes about my, uh, my, my health uh, and my, my, my lifestyle and, you know, including, uh, you know, my, my habits. So all of that is actually uh, available to physicians. And not many physicians today uh, are actually able to interpret the massive amount of data that I generate on a daily basis, let alone grow that across the, the entire U.S. population. Uh, 
uh, it's going to be more and more difficult to, to actually be able to ingest all these data, right? So I, th- I, th- I feel that basically the, the component of innovation now is to indeed uh, be able to uh, summarize uh, all these data uh, into something more uh, more readable. So as in, uh, when you actually go to a doctor, something as simple as actually measuring your weight. Well, I actually have the ability to actually measure my weight in the privacy of my home. Obviously, you know, not actually having the excess weight of uh, clothes or shoes or whatever I'm actually wearing. So it's a much more accurate and precise measure throughout my, my day. As a matter of fact, as soon as I actually get out of bed, I can actually measure my weight rather than actually having breakfast and actually having to go to the doctor. So examples, something as simple like, you know, as that. Um, will we'll, we'll technically, you know, revolutionize the way in which we actually measure. Diabetes is another one, very, you know, very common disease that uh, that, that can actually now be measured um, on a, a you know hourly basis. So basically, there are sensors that you can actually attach to your arm. Not not a very invasive procedure. You know, you can actually do it yourself, and now all of a sudden you can actually get the results as to how your blood glucose uh, is actually changing based on what you're ingesting. So now all of a sudden. You can actually truly understand what are foods that basically can cause you know you to actually have swings in the you know I, I, you know in mood or uh, swings in temperatures or headaches and so basically you, you now actually have a data foundation on you that can actually generate insight as to why do you actually uh, feel a certain way. You know, in, in a number of our clients and in, in industries where we work, you have some of the larger players that are out there. Um, but R and D is happening in smaller boutique firms. And, and, you know, we back in, in when my days in technology, we used to make build buy or partner decisions, right? We have a problem, we have a solution for the problem and that we've identified, and we're either going to build that solution. We're going to buy that solution, or we're going to partner with someone or acquire someone, which could be a buy partner decision. Uh, do you see that happening in pharmaceuticals? And, if, and, and I'd love to hear maybe some, some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of really, again, the nexus uh, or the connection between uh, technology innovation and pharma innovation, right? So we, we can no longer afford to actually build the, the entire intellectual properties within uh, within our own company. So for instance, at Takeda, we have more than 220 external partnerships, right, for, you know, for drug development. Uh, now, if we actually enter the space of uh, uh, data and information technology and especially, you know, artificial intelligence, uh, I believe that basically there will be an emergence of uh, smaller boutique AI firms that will be able to actually generate models that become more and more accurate in prediction based on the volume of data. You know, as you know, basically an AI model uh, becomes more and more accurate the more data it can ingest. So if you actually now federate the data and you actually federate the AI uh, studies right across multiple companies, well, obviously the data set that they can actually use is limited compared to an aggregate uh, or the experience that the AI algorithm can gain for its very specialized purpose. So I can I can definitely feel that in the future, uh, you will actually bring your data to a very specialized firm of AI that will actually give you an answer, you know, based on whatever th- type of therapy you're trying to actually develop. I mean, Moderna alone uh, was actually really born uh, as a data platform company that eventually started to develop uh, uh, their own medicine, right? But but essentially, uh, they are a platform, right? That basically is uh, you know is actually you know producing uh, you know pharmaceutical products, but but it's a data platform. Yeah. 
Hey folks, we'll be right back with the episode, but first we want to tell you about a limited opportunity to take advantage of our strategic growth diagnostic. For a short time only, we're offering a free strategy call to see whether or not our unique diagnostic tool is right for you. Go to innovationjunkie.com backslash diagnostic to learn more. So how do you approach innovation in your own in your own shop, so to speak? What do you, what do, you do to make sure that your team is innovating and is kind of pushing the envelope there? Yeah, so innovation, first of all, we, we perceive innovation as a, as a team sport, right? And uh, we try to actually push the innovation as much as possible to the edge, uh, realizing also that uh, when people are trying to actually innovate in whatever sector, uh, you know, of our company, you know, from in research, uh, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and drug development um, to, um, to patient engagement, uh, to uh, manufacturing. Manufacturing now is actually going through a, a, a tremendous amount of innovation, um, especially because of the fact that we rely on so many external partners. Uh, so, so what we do believe is the fact that obviously people across the organization have their own talents, you know, their own experience, their own education, their own intuition, but they might actually really lack the, uh, the ability uh, to, to basically put, in, put on paper Right, uh, what uh, they're they're trying to actually change and how they're trying to actually change it. So, we have uh, basically developed a capability of innovation that can actually be deployed across any one of these edges across the company and actually help people develop uh, uh, journey maps, uh, uh, leveraging you know design thinking, uh, you know principles, leveraging first principles type of approach. So, kind of really teach people how to actually innovate uh, in an efficient way. You know, anyone can, you know, is that actually an expert that is coming up, you know, with a good idea, but how do you actually land the idea? So we then actually have deployed um, across our major sites um, uh, capabilities to, to basically uh, execute on what we actually call fast prototyping. What that means is that uh, once the team is actually now generating an innovative idea, uh, and we now actually have landed more or less on what the prototype of that idea could be, uh, we try to actually get within 24 hours uh, a prototype that can actually give a tactile experience as to what they are trying to actually develop based on, on, on what they were actually sharing with us. And then eventually that gives it, a, you know, the ability to decide if we actually want to move forward or not. So basically this, you know, fail fast, fail forward, um, you know, type of principle where, uh, what we, you know, we, we decide then if we actually want to move forward and actually develop a, an MVP, uh, you know, of the specific, uh, you know, product being a sensor, uh, you know, be, being software, uh, being actually something that has nothing to do with digital technologies, but but that is basically how we we deploy innovation. So it's a it's a center of excellence that basically is helping people uh, innovate uh, better. So kind of you know, give them give them the assistance and skills uh, to land on a on a more tangible product faster. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that that, that becomes a, not just the domain of, an, of a particular innovative group, but it sounds like you're really trying to spread a culture of innovation. How do you get it to stick in a large organization? Yeah, we tried basically the centralized approach and obviously it does not, not necessarily work, uh, you know, because of the fact that, uh, you know, you run into skill problems. Uh, so we kind of, you know, kind of really try to augment really this, the, the skills that are present out there, no matter, no matter the discipline, uh, right, of... Uh, of execution of a process in the company, uh, but it's kind of really providing people help. You know, how do we actually help uh, help it to stick? I think that uh, uh, you know we, we do feel that uh, the, the organization, uh, you know, overall, 
is adapting to the concept of, uh, of basically asking for help and actually really leveraging uh, the skills of acceleration of innovation, uh, even though it's actually, yes, you know, it is actually provided centrally, but that's kind of really offering the economy of scale to, um, to, to basically exponentially uh, you know, produce more and more, uh, again, prototypes and, uh, and then eventually having the faster, uh, faster time to, to delivery of a, uh, you know, a physical product. The other thing that we found also is that uh, using this model, it's much easier for you know for people to actually develop a classic, say, business case, right? To to basically request for funding, and the education that we've given across the organization on agile methodology, right? Where basically agile is not just something that you actually do within the IT organization, but it is indeed a process of innovation. It's something that, that can actually help you think about how do I actually make incremental improvements. Uh, and actually look if these incremental improvements are actually delivering value rather than actually having the classic, you know, waterfall is going to take you two years to know if you're actually going to succeed or fail. So I feel that basically education is actually what, uh, what is giving us the edge uh, relative to, to, to others. Fantastic. You know, we do quite a bit of innovation work in, in healthcare. And, and one of the things that I've observed, and I just want to throw this out here, maybe let you respond and Jeff certainly elaborate if you, if you want to, but Many times, healthcare, pharmaceutical, biotech organizations have a lot of academic oriented, academically oriented PhD research, basic yep. research type folks, which you got to have, right? And I and I love that, but they've mm -hmm. never really been introduced to the tenets of commercialization or or looking at your research from the beginning as if you're you're honing that research to eventually commercialize its outputs. And so helping them make that transition from academic researcher to academic researcher who intends to commercialize that can sometimes be a, a leap or can be a challenge. Have you seen that? And if so, kind of how have you dealt with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is kind of really the, 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 the classic difference between uh, the innovation, what I call the innovation ecology, right, uh, between pharma and digital. If you're actually looking at digital uh, in general, right? Uh, digital innovation. So if you actually pick any company like whatever Apple, you know, for 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 for, for, for the iPhone per se, right? Uh, and or any technology, right? The innovation usually, and when you're actually generating a product, you you, you make it as an open system, right? Uh, that there is usually like shared learning that is actually going on for you know for the specific technology. It's very customer focused as a design, right? So basically, you actually have a specific target customer that you're trying to actually develop the technology for and the customer you know usually it's, it's uh, you know it's global right it's massive and then you actually have multiple target markets you know you, you, you try to actually develop products for you know teenagers or uh, you, you know um, uh, older uh, you know older populations but you, you basically are starting to kind of really try to actually develop the product in, you know in, in many of these ways if you're actually looking at pharma we're mostly, you know, focused on like closed systems. It's very specialized. We're regulated. Uh, there are basically a lot of like rational designs that we actually do. Uh, that there is usually like a binary outcome. Either we actually put the product to market or we just toss it. Uh, and so it's, you know, if you're actually looking at the, that ecology, right, the, the, the difference between the two is kind of really where uh, I feel that, 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 that the, the, the join of the two is now actually really uh, introducing a lot of innovation into into pharma, right? So basically, the fact that we're now actually really patient focused, the fact that the, the patient actually comes first, 
you know, it, that's not, uh, you know, again, it's, it's not just, just something that you actually put on, you know, on a slide, right? Truly, we're trying to really understand the patient because, again, a lot of different medicines have been generated across uh, the, the, the history of pharma. But yet we don't know exactly what patient could benefit from all the medicines that have been developed. So with the use of technology and data now, we can truly align the patient to the medicine a lot faster than in the past. We don't necessarily need to actually rely on the knowledge, the experience and intuition of a doctor it, you know, uh, uh, in isolation to be able to actually prescribe medicine. So I feel, I feel that basically in the next 10 years, as doctors and as you know, as as they will actually be equipped with more AI, with more information, with better education about you know both medicine and disease, you know uh, at Takeda we actually produce a lot. You know most of actually our you know our, our products are actually targeting rare disease. Uh, a rare disease is rare just because of, not because of the fact that it's not out there, it's because of the fact that most of the uh, doctors are unable to 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 basically prescribe the right medicine because it's so rare that they don't necessarily know that you actually have that type of disease mm -hmm. uh, the use of technology with better sensors you know with better use of uh, of technology now we can actually target um that specific individual with the right medicine being takeda's or being anybody else's product right but 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 the interaction between the patient and the product is going to act in a lot quicker than in the past you know, one other follow-up, and I'd be, to the extent you're willing to comment on this, I'd be interested in your your outlook, is I think we saw during the pandemic that the regulators were able to move much more quickly in approving the vaccines, even for just emergency use, than anyone thought would be practical or, or possible. And so it, it kind of begs the question, why couldn't that become the norm? And, you know, what are the risks associated with that? Obviously, patient safety is very important. But how do you see all that sorting out from the regulatory side going forward? I, I honestly think that the ecosystem, well, first of all, again, let's never forget the time of COVID because I do believe that uh, that has generated a lot of great uh, transformations right across the industry. The FDA, Center of Disease Control, they also have moved uh, in ways in which they've never moved before. We're now actually becoming a lot more reliant on data Right, and uh, and we will continue to actually become more reliant on data because of the massive amount of you know of of uh, of, of volume right that is actually being being generated, and I do believe that uh, the interaction with the FDA, central disease control, and global uh, you know uh, health organizations has drastically improved um, in truly trusting the uh, the science. You know, I believe that again, not to actually become too too political here, right. But I do believe that uh, with COVID, uh, the fact that basically medicine almost took a, took a second um, second spot to 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 the politics and to the political system might have kind of really uh, you know in a way generated a um, a benefit and maybe not right you know to to our industry because of the fact that obviously the science now has been accelerated based on the level of investment that was actually made for uh, for this specific. Uh, um, you know, outbreak. Now, uh, COVID, uh, you know, if you're actually looking at uh, uh, warning signs, right? You know, we basically had H1N1, we had SARS, and now we actually have uh, SARS-2, and, and then we actually have COVID. So there were plenty of information 
you know, and then due to due to the media, probably now we actually have gotten a lot more uh, attention uh, and measurement. So we never actually really measured H1N1 nor SARS at the level in which we're actually now measuring COVID. Right. So I feel that basically the exponential growth of uh, of COVID definitely has triggered the need for a completely different uh, regulation. Now, um, talking about devices and uh, and the FDA, I do believe that now with the ability of actually deploying clinical trials in people's homes. I do believe also that, uh, you know, when you're starting to actually measure someone in their home, the information that you're actually distilling from these sensors and devices is a lot more accurate than when you're actually asking someone to actually enter a hospital or enter a doctor's office because your biology changes completely, right? Uh, And so I do feel that the acceleration of clinical trials and the fact that we're going to be able to generate a lot more data through sensors will also expedite the process of clinical trials and the introduction of new medicines in the market a lot quicker than between 9 to 15 years. In the FDA, I believe that it, that is actually moving in the right direction. They're, they're, they're really um, you know, understanding that we're in a completely different uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, world right now. So, yeah. Very the good. reason to be optimistic that, that the that innovation and the adoption of data by the regulators is hopefully going to match or be close to matching industry so that these things can safely be rolled out on shorter intervals. That, that's, that would be great if that, if that works out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as in, uh, and believe it or not, I, I believe that basically this digital economy is going to mandate that. I don't believe that the individuals will take ownership of their health care right, uh, in, in a major way. Uh, based on the fact that basically sensors and software is actually going to give him answers. Now, again, do you trust the software? Do you, do you or do you not, right? Do you, do you actually trust uh, a sensor that basically has been installed on, uh, say, several millions of people, right, to, to actually be, and be able to actually accurately predict, uh, you know, like, for instance, you know, the, uh, the Apple Watch, right, can, can actually, uh, you know, uh, not predict, not necessarily predict if you're actually going to have a heart attack, but it can actually really detect some heart conditions. Yeah. That can actually give you signals as to, you know, should you actually go to a doctor or not, right? So it will never actually be uh, prescriptive, probably, mm-hmm. uh, not, not at least in, in my generation, uh, but, but eventually it will become so because, you know, the amount of data is going to be far more accurate than any prediction that any human can actually make because, you know, we're limited by our memory. Uh, you know, we, we have about a terabyte of of storage in our head, uh, we clock at about eight uh, what uh, eight megahertz, I think. Uh, you know, as a, as a CPU, so we're nowhere near the ability of um, the, the 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 level of of um, of interactions, right, and, and integration, data integration that that any AI model would be able to do. Now, not to say that basically that is the only thing you can trust, but once you actually start to reach uh, a level of predictability. That is better, far better than uh, than than a human. Then eventually, we're going to start to actually really adapt. Uh, and I feel that uh, that again, the the proliferation of sensors will, will definitely introduce a completely different way to actually really handle your your wellness, right? So wellness will actually become far 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 more important into people's lives than uh, than eventually going through through some sort of therapy or surgery. Very good. Leo, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. We appreciate you for taking the time to join us. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. If yeah, very interesting stuff. Keep doing what you're doing. You're right. fighting a good fight there, and we, we appreciate it a great deal. That's right. Thank you so much.
Yes, sir. If if some of our listeners wanted to connect with you, where could they where could they find you best? Uh, well, uh, either through LinkedIn uh, or uh, Leo Dobrella at Takedo.com. Very good. Thank you so much again. We appreciate it. We hope you have a great 2022. Thanks so much. Have a great Take care. Hey, folks, this is Jeff Amrine. We want to thank you for tuning in. We sincerely appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the Innovation Junkies podcast, please do us a huge favor. Click the subscribe button right now and please leave us a review. It would mean the world to both of us. And don't forget to share us on social media.